Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest this week is Anima Anand Kumar. Anima is the Director of Machine Learning Research at NVIDIA and a Bren Professor in the Computer and Mathematical Sciences Department at Caltech. At NVIDIA, Anima leads the research group that develops next-generation artificial intelligence algorithms. Meanwhile, at Caltech, she is the co-director of Dulcet and co-leads the AI for Science initiative. She's also the youngest named chair professor at Caltech, the university's highest honor. Previously, Anima worked at Amazon Web Services. In this episode, Anima discusses the synergy of working in both academia and in industry, from her previous positions at AWS and the University of California at Irvine, to her current research at NVIDIA and Caltech. She shares how artificial intelligence can accelerate scientific discovery with engineering capabilities, such as powerful GPUs that continuously push AI forward at an extremely fast pace. We also discuss what's known as the trinity of the deep learning revolution, algorithms, data, and compute infrastructure. Anima shares insights on scaling, self-supervision techniques, embodied intelligence, and her thoughts on the future of AI. Finally, we end the discussion with Anima's mission of globally democratizing and diversifying AI. Anima Anand Kumar, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thanks a lot, Peter, for having me on this podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So, uh, Anima, you are the Bren Professor of Computing at uh, Cal- the California Institute of Technology, Caltech. Uh, you are also a director of machine learning at NVIDIA, of NVIDIA, excuse me. And I wondered if you could talk a bit about how you sort out your sets of responsibilities between the two, in addition to maybe talking a bit about uh, some of the responsibilities you have in the two two sides of your your jobs. Yeah, Peter, um, you know, I feel really lucky to be at two great institutions. Uh, you know, each one of them, uh, I'm surrounded by amazing people and students I work with. And to me, you know, it's uh, getting AI to the next level and being able to do cutting edge research on both the sides. And the flexibility I've been given both by Caltech and NVIDIA to pursue this is what makes it very exciting. Um, You know, at NVIDIA, I lead the machine learning research group And at Caltech, I also lead the group on research in AI and machine learning. And so to me, uh, you know, the focus on research helps uh, have synergy on both the sides. I mean, indeed, there are strengths uh, that are specific to each institution. At Caltech, uh, there is a rich history of scientific discoveries. I'm surrounded by amazing scientists in all kinds of areas, including Nobel Prize winners. So how AI can impact the fundamental sciences, help us make new scientific discoveries is very exciting to me. Uh, so I've launched uh, AI for Science along with uh, Professor Song Yu also at Caltech to help accelerate uh, these discoveries. On the other hand, on the NVIDIA side, uh, indeed, that's where uh, the modern day parallel computing started. And uh, AI research has been possible thanks to the powerful GPUs and the scale. So the engineering expertise, the hardware, the scale at NVIDIA helps me think about research problems that wouldn't be possible otherwise. 
how can we exploit all these capabilities to push AI forward, to invent new algorithms, and to look at the impact at a variety of domains. You have a chance to explore the the theoretical as well as the practical in a variety of different settings. Exactly. Uh, And uh, indeed, uh, to me, the progress in uh, AI is happening so quickly, so it's important to take it all the way, right? Think about development of new algorithms as well as look at how it works at scale in practical applications. And being able to do that in a relatively short timeline is made possible thanks uh, to this dual affiliation. Knowing your background, Anima, uh, you, you're somebody who is often, or if I should say, almost for the entirety of your time as a professor, had a foot in the in the private sector as well. When you were an assistant professor at the uh, University of California, Irvine, you were a, Microsoft, uh, a member of the Microsoft research team. You were also the principal scientist at Amazon Web Services previously as well. And so it seems as though from the beginnings of your time as a as a professor, you thought about this synergy, this symbiosis between university as well as a corporate setting. Is that right? Indeed, indeed, Peter. I think uh, you know there is a lot of opportunities uh, in terms of collaboration between industry and academia. Microsoft Research has had a rich history of hosting uh, professors uh, in all kinds of different areas of computer science, and that's where. Uh, I started working on tensors, uh, which ended up being my core research focus for a number of years, and how these new class of algorithms can solve a whole range of unsupervised learning problems where labeled data is not available. So I think uh, by putting people with different uh, backgrounds and different skill sets in a room, magic can happen. Very interesting. You you began to allude to something that I know from our prior conversation you referred to as the trinity, and that is the three aspects that have come together to really uh, enable the deep learning revolution. There's a lot of focus on algorithms, but you, from both your posts really, but especially from your post to NVIDIA, you have an opportunity to think about how all these three come together. Can you describe those and then give a little, little bit of background to each, please? Yeah, yeah, Peter. Uh, I think, as you rightfully said, uh, there's a lot of focus on the algorithms uh, when it comes to thinking about artificial intelligence. You know, we are currently in the deep learning revolution which means we are harnessing the power of deep neural networks. Uh, But that, to me, is only one facet. The other two important facets are data and compute infrastructure, right? Because the algorithms have been around for a long time, but what made this current revolution possible is the availability of large-scale benchmark data sets, such as ImageNet, as well as the compute power from the NVIDIA GPUs. I know we needed the scale, we needed the parallelism to be able to run these large-scale models and process large amounts of data to train these models. And uh, and that's why it's important to look at all these three pillars and ask how do we further synergize them? How do we further uh, look at um, getting better quality data or detecting what kind of data that we should obtain as well as how do we make the hardware more efficient and more tuned to the AI applications. That makes sense. And I know that you've also put put some thought into uh, where deep learning is best suited and where it is not, and especially where it is not thinking about techniques that can be used to 
to, to facilitate the expansion of deep learning. Can you talk a bit about uh, your thought process there? Yeah, uh, the progress in deep learning over the last few years has been really exciting. It's been so fast. You know, none of us in the field imagined we would uh, make such breakthroughs in a, such a short amount of time. Uh, but these have been primarily in the case where there's very large amounts of label data available, and we also have the scale available to train them. And, you know, it started with computer vision. How do we understand uh, images at scale? And then speech recognition, natural language processing. And it happened in uh, hyperscale companies such as Google, Facebook, and MediaWare. Uh, you know, there is the data and the scale available, right? And the question is, uh, can we think about impact in so many other areas where this is not the case? Uh, we may not have very large amounts of data, and uh, especially in academic settings, there may not be always large-scale computing possible. So is it still possible to do new kinds of AI research to overcome these difficulties? And that's where exciting developments are happening as we speak. Um, you know, a lot of focus is now on how do we uh, do deep learning with uh, small amounts of data, or can we actively learn and decide what kind of data to collect? Can we do semi-supervised learning? That is, you know, you combine unlabeled data and labeled data. Can we do weak supervision, which means you may not have the complete label information, but partial feedback and partial information to train the models. And all this is uh, getting to the point of where, you know, we are getting closer to what hum in the way humans learn than ever before. For instance, you know, humans do a lot of unsupervised learning. We as infants, uh, you know, uh, learn representations of the world uh, uh, even when we may not know exactly what it is, right? Like the labels can come afterwards uh, as we grow up. So this question is very deep in terms of can we enable unsupervised and semi-supervised learning better in our deep learning models? And one of the latest techniques is called self-supervision, where we are doing this in an iterative manner. So meaning we train a model, we try to go and label new data points and come back and uh, do the same all over again. So that's the other aspect. You know, we humans learn in an iterative fashion. Can we think of also algorithms that uh, have better correspondence to the way humans learn? I think those are all some exciting uh, new areas uh, that researchers are thinking about. You mentioned at the outset of your answer something which is so interesting, which is the pace of the change. And the pace of the change is both thrilling as well as worrying for some in terms of uh, our ability to control that change, our ability to impact and define things such that uh, if and when uh, computers reach artificial general intelligence and approximation of our own and maybe even beyond our, our, our ability to, to think and process uh, you know, will, will we still be masters of, of that domain? And, and I wonder if you could take a moment and provide your own thoughts about that kind of optimism versus pessimism that different camps have of the overall development of artificial intelligence. Yeah, that's a very good point, Peter. Uh, you know, AI is in the news almost every day. And most of the articles, uh, in my view, are overtly 
optimistic or overtly hyped up uh, in the sense that uh, we are assigning capabilities to the AI that's not currently possible. You know, case and example are uh, language models. Uh, over the previous year, the language models got uh, really good, meaning they are now able to generate coherent paragraphs, right? But this doesn't mean uh, that they have uh, an innate intelligence or an innate character uh, that's driving this generation. On the other hand, what's made this possible is the availability of large uh, corpus of text, um, you know, primarily from Reddit where these uh, models are trained, and uh, the availability, again, of uh, large-scale compute infrastructure. Uh, in fact, uh, the largest language model has been trained by NVIDIA. It's called Megatron, and uh, that was trained on 512 GPUs. So the scale hadn't made it possible to now have coherent text generation, but we are not still able to generate controllable text, right? And of course, uh, carry on dialogues or have intelligent conversations uh, in a natural way, that's still far off. But uh, the way the, these articles uh, portray this is gives an impression to the public that it, this is, uh, you know, happening now. And I think that's one uh, to blame. You know, we, and we as scientists have a responsibility to make sure that we give a balanced and honest view to the public. And in the past, I've uh, spoken on Twitter and on other media in terms of how it's important uh, to, you know, provide this balanced view, be accountable for uh, the research we do and uh, present it in a balanced manner. Very interesting, you know, especially given what you've described and perhaps some of the hype that suggests realities arriving uh, uh, sooner than is possible. As you look, say, three or five years out, what are some of the nearer term or medium term advances that you anticipate that you're most excited about relative to artificial intelligence and machine learning? Uh, I think, uh, indeed, there's a lot of uh, positive developments that are happening. I'm very excited about the use of AI in robotics and what I call embodied intelligence, right? Can we get the mind and the body together? Uh, because up until uh, recent times, the two areas of research haven't interacted much. You know, we've been designing AI algorithms and mostly applying that in software. On the other hand, robotics has relied on traditional control algorithms uh, with no learning involved, right? And, and there are lots of uh, interesting challenges to tackle. For instance, we need to incorporate safety and stability. You know, if you have a drone that's flying, it has to be stable. You know, because we add learning in the loop, uh, we can't, uh, you know, have it be crashing down. So it's important to make sure that the considerations of these robots operating in the wild, in the physical world, be taken into account even as we embed AI algorithms in them. And as we do that, uh, we can make these robots much more adaptive. They can uh, be doing now multiple tasks instead of one. Uh, for instance, you know, we have at NVIDIA Research in Seattle, a robotics lab where uh, there is a kitchen environment. So imagine a robot that's able to do many tasks like cutting vegetables, you know, picking up uh, different uh, utensils, 
and going through all the motions of cooking. It's a highly complex set of tasks. And we are now getting to a point where we can train, have algorithms such as meta reinforcement learning that can train over different kinds of tasks, uh, different kinds of data sets, and be able to put all that intelligence together. So that's an area I'm very excited about. Very interesting. Uh, we mentioned earlier your, your multiple um, private sector affiliations from Microsoft to Amazon, now NVIDIA, as you've mentioned, of course, as well. Uh, with each of those, you've been exposed to companies and helped to lead companies, in fact, who are definitive leaders uh, in the development of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, and each has uh, a blessing of a tremendous uh, uh, skills and numbers of people who have uh, have deep perspectives, deep research experience in the topics of AI, machine learning, and, and uh, deep learning, et cetera. And uh, this isn't the case for just any company. And uh, I know that, you know, what, what's interesting about your perspective, of course, is you are, on the one hand, training some of the, you know, the future leaders as an academic. You're also hiring, uh, hiring and, and grooming uh, uh, teams as a leader at NVIDIA. And I wonder if you could take those experiences for a moment and contemplate a company very different from the ones you've been affiliated with who have great difficulty in finding um, people with the appropriate skill sets to develop a true uh, you know, AI team, a, a deep learning team. Uh, what sorts of recommendations would you have for that sort of an organization in order to ramp up to better compete and better take advantage of this revolution that's happening? Absolutely. I think that's a great point. Uh, you know, to me, democratization of AI is very important, right? And that means across the world, how do we get more people into AI as well as um, more companies and sectors into harnessing the power of AI and seeing further uh, exciting development? And, you know, my, personally, I actually uh, come from a family of uh, small skills, uh, uh, you know, entrepreneurs who ran a small-scale company uh, that's in manufacturing. Uh, and uh, uh, even though, you know, at that time there was no AI, uh, but my parents were very interested in automation. So moving from traditional missionary to computer numerically controlled machines, you know, that was a big step for them. And uh, at the same time, they saw the benefits of efficiency and they pushed their way, and they were some of the first uh, in the small town that I uh, was brought up uh, to have that kind of capability. So growing up, I saw like firsthand how small-scale industries and uh, ingenuity can come together to go to the cutting-edge uh, technology and leapfrog the developments that are happening. So I think across the world, more than ever before, it's much easier for people to get into AI. Uh, you know, there's a lot of open source tools available. AI is primarily driven through open source. And at NVIDIA, we've uh, been containerizing and open sourcing uh, all the latest capabilities. So it's, uh, and there's lots of really good tutorials such as from fast.ai, which is a nonprofit that is uh, educating people across the world to learn about uh, these AI algorithms uh, and the code available that they can go about deploying in their applications. And I think with all this available, uh, it's possible for companies around the world 
to train their workforce in a targeted manner. You know, and uh, they can focus on what um, uh, you know where to get started. Right, I think that's usually the barrier, and it starts with digitization. You know, how much of their data can they get into the digital realm? How much of that can be used for AI? I think starting small and starting uh, with simple techniques, not necessarily even deep learning, just classical machine learning, but getting started. Uh, you know, usually takes a lot of effort, but I think it's worth it. And uh, I think I'm very confident that across the world uh, we'll see a lot of uh, exciting developments, you know, local people solving local problems using AI. I know another topic that you're very passionate about is diversity in technology. And the, the topics we've been talking about, uh, the algorithms which are at the center of of artificial intelligence, for example, are particularly prone to unintended consequences where there's not a diversity of, of per perspectives taken to, into account when they are developed. There have been some very famous examples of those unintended consequences that represent biases that people maybe don't even know that they have as they're uh, programming computers to, to fulfill one task or another. Um, but I wonder if you could take a moment and talk a bit about the, if I, the, the sort of state of the union, if you will, of uh, women and minorities and artificial intelligence. I know that it's still a very small cadre of people. Uh, you happen to represent both, in this country anyway. And, uh, but I wonder if you could talk a, a bit about uh, progress you see uh, being made as well as uh, progress, progress yet to come. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, we still have a long way to go in terms of uh, improving the numbers, um, you know, both of women and minorities in the field of AI and more generally in STEM, right? Uh, and I, But I think diversity is important. Uh, as you pointed out, uh, you know, we are building so many tools across a large number of domains uh, which can have a huge human impact and being able to take into account, you know, what are the failure modes when AI fails, what are the uh, backups? You know, how do we ensure uh, that the cost of failure is not too high? I think those answers are addressed better when there is a diverse team. As an example, you know, face recognition has been shown to be highly biased in many of the publicly available applications, uh, you know, such as from Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, and so on. Uh, and the first researchers who pointed out these shortcomings uh, were Black researchers. And indeed, the, this is a, an issue that affects um, uh, the African-American community, uh, especially in a big way uh, when it's put in the hands of law enforcement and other agencies. So we'll have, having these uh, applications uh, make errors on the black population to a much bigger extent is unfair and can lead to a lot of bad consequences. So I think diversity is important to make sure we as a community vet and re release applications to the real world in a much more responsible manner. And uh, I think there have been a lot of positive uh, developments uh, and a lot of uh, grassroots efforts in our community uh, to create a more healthy environment for everybody and uh, have it be welcoming to women and minorities. Um, some of the examples, you know, the women in machine learning has now grown to thousands of women. And, uh, you know, when I attended it uh, recently at the NeurIPS conference, uh, 
there is just so much of positivity and so much of bonding and so much of sharing of knowledge uh and that has now uh, you know diversified to use the word again into so many other affinity groups right the black in ai latinx in ai uh queer in ai disability in ai i think people are really you know asking how do we uh, make an inclusive community and seeing that happen on the ground at these conferences to me is highly inspiring uh we had the opening uh, talk be given by uh, professor Celeste Kid who is a professor at UC Berkeley she talked about how human beliefs are formed uh, a really interesting scientific topic but in the end uh, uh, which is quite unusual what she did was to talk about the me too movement you know address it head on talk about what is the role of men you know should they be concerned how can they contribute in a positive way i think uh, this would have been unimaginable uh, at neurops even a couple of years ago you know last year we pushed hard for the name change you know was called nips before and with this obvious reference um, uh, that is uh, uh, you know was uh, not seen as welcoming to women uh we pushed for that change and i think along with it came a whole host of changes in terms of the code of conduct and much better uh, culture when it came to corporate uh, entities throwing parties or you know having events uh, that uh, had a more diverse group of researchers participate and this year i think with celeste's uh, talk getting a standing ovation and us being able to address these issues head on and create a better awareness in the community that gives me a lot of hope well anima and ankumar thank you so much for joining me today on technovation for sharing your perspectives from the diverse array of things that you do both at the university as well as uh, at nvidia it's been a great conversation thanks a lot peter it's been a real pleasure Thanks for tuning in. Please join me next week when my guest will be Brian Hoyt, the Chief Information Officer of Unity Technologies.